Welcome to the Followers of the Way podcast for March 24th, 2019. Today, Pastor Olu brings us a message called World Engines, Daniel, the all-sovereign God knows, plans, and decrees. Now, Pastor Olu continues on our Daniel series by walking through Daniel chapter 11, verses 1 through 20. Pastor Olu says that for decades, the incredible accuracy of the prophecies in this portion of scripture have proven a thorn in the side of secular critics. Its precise foretelling of Alexander the Great, the Greek Empire, and the Syrian Wars of the Diadochi, several hundreds of years before the events unfolded, serves as more evidence that Jehovah God is the one true God. In it, we once again see the sovereignty of God in his declaration, dictation, intimate involvement, and final consummation of humanity's affairs, all toward fulfilling his holy purposes. We see how the sovereignty of God provides assurance that God is in control of every aspect of life, and that as followers of Christ, we have no need to be shaken by the chaos of this world. So grab your Bible and follow along with us as we explore God's Word here on Followers of the way. We're in Daniel chapter 11. Turn me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 11. We're going, we're moving through. Daniel, we kind of got slowed down a bit in nine, but we're going through now. This is the chapter in the Bible that the Bible critics, we call them liberal scholars, hate. This is the one that they can't handle. If anyone ever comes to you and talks about God's not sovereign, God's not in charge, if anyone comes to you and tells you that God isn't real, all you have to do is say three words. Daniel chapter 11. That's all you got to say. Because what Daniel chapter 11 does is that God sends the angel Gabriel down to Daniel and he tells Daniel what is about to happen in the next two to 400 years. He just lays it out. The details of this prophecy are so insane that people who says God can't exist and God doesn't prophesy and the Bible is real, all they can say is, oh, Daniel didn't write that. Somebody wrote that after it happened because it's so daggone accurate. They say, oh, somebody had to have written that after it happened. And his, it was another Daniel, that's it. It was two Daniels, that's what they say. It was two Daniels, one was in the lion's den, and the other one was 500 years later, and he just wrote it, and he stuck it in the book, so you think it's the same Daniel, because it's so incredible. And so we open up Daniel, we, remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about what happened. Daniel was praying, God sent the angel Gabriel in chapter 10, Gabriel told them and said, look, I was on my way <laughs> to you once you started praying 21 days ago, but then I got caught up fighting the demons of Greece and the demons of Persia. So what I did, I called my boy Michael to come down. So Michael is fighting them right now so I can come down and tell you what God wants. Then I'm going to run back up and we're going to handle this business and put in this work. That's what happened with chapter 10. So if you look at the end of chapter 10, Verse 21, the angel tells Daniel, no one has courage to support me against them. Talking about the demons he's fighting except Michael, your prince. However, here's the verse. I will tell you what is recorded in the book of truth. Before we do that, let's talk about a little bit of what, amen. Let's talk a little bit about what we're going to be discussing today, the sovereignty of God. When we look at the book of Daniel, what we're seeing is the sovereignty of God. What we're seeing is that God is sovereign. And so when we look at that, a couple of verses come to mind. Turn with me quick in your Bibles to Psalms chapter 103. Psalms chapter 103, verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. 
Psalms 103. When we look at Psalms 115, this is still in the Psalms. Psalm 115, 3, we're talking about God is sovereign. God is in charge of everything. Psalms 115, 3 says, our God is in heaven and does whatever he pleases. And then in Psalms 135, still in the book of Psalms, turn over a couple pages. Psalms 135, verse 5 and 6. Psalms 135, 5 and 6 for I know that Yahweh is great. Our Lord is greater than all gods. Yahweh does whatever he pleases in heaven and on earth, in the seas and in all the depths. So we know that God is sovereign. He is in charge. And the scripture says he does whatever he wants to do. Tozer, we, we, we kind of looked at this uh, uh, definition a while ago when we were talking. When we first started off in Daniel. But Tozer says about the sovereignty of God, I read it. God is said to be absolutely free because no one and no thing can hinder him or compel him or stop him. He is able to do as he pleases always, everywhere, forever. To be thus free means also that he must possess university authority, that he has unlimited power. We know from the scriptures and may deduce from certain other of his attributes. God is free. That means he can do He's able to do as he pleases, always, everywhere. And so when we talk about the sovereignty of God, this is what we're referring to. So swing back to Daniel chapter 10, the end of Daniel chapter 10, where the angel comes to Daniel and says, listen, I'm about to tell you what's about to go down. So as we go through this chapter, I'm going to be, we're talking about from our perspective, right? This is history. See what I'm saying? Because this happened before us. And so from where we sit here in 2019, it looks like history. But I want you not to forget the fact that what we're reading today is prophecy. Daniel was written somewhere around 500 something B.C. If we look at our timeline that we drew, let's say this is zero. And let's say this is about 30, 33, where Jesus started popping off. So Daniel is somewhere around here, three, 530, somewhere around here. What we're going to talk about is events that start somewhere around here, around the 300s to 200s, down to the 100s. So we're talking about two to 400 years before it happens. And I don't know if you read Daniel 11 before, but it's astounding when you look at the accuracy that is there. I'm about to tell you what is inscribed in the book, the word of truth. It's interesting to me when I think about you know, you always hear people say, God, I want to know you more. People say all the time, I want to know God more. God, show yourself to me. God, reveal yourself to me. I want to know you more, God. I want more of God. I want to know more of you. And then you ask them, when was the last time you read the Bible? Because we know God. We are drawn closer to God by getting into his word. The angel says, I'm about to tell you the book of truth. I'm about to give you Thus saith the Lord, the word of God. And so you cannot know the mind of God. You cannot know, if you want to know what's God thinking, if you want to know what God has in store for you, if you want to know what's my place here, what's my purpose, if you want to know what God is going to do in the future, if you want to know what God is going to do in this world, we've got the one-stop answer right here in this word. And so when we sit there and say, I want to know God, oh God, I want to know you more, I want, to, I want to love you more, God, show yourself more to me, and we don't spend time in his word, we're talking to nothing. God is like, oh, I did it. I, I, I sent that, all 66 for you. That way you know me. 
And so we need to make sure we do that. You know, if you haven't read the Bible from cover to cover, it's time. Just do it. Just read it. You know, I remember my old pastor used to say, you get to heaven one day and God said, hey, did you read that book, that letter I sent you? I read some of it. You know, I mean, you thank you for writing it, first of all, God. And I did read some of it. I read a lot of the short chapters because, boy, it was a lot you told me. But I did read some of it. No. See, I read it all because I want to know you more. So if you took time, God, to send me all six, six of these, I'm going to read them. Whether it takes me a year, two years, 10 years, nine, 100 years, not 100 years, but whatever time it takes me, I'm going to take time and I'm going to read what God says to me. The book of truth. God said, Daniel prayed, what's going to happen? How are we going to get out of this mess? Who's going to rescue us? The angel says, I've come to tell you the word of God. What's interesting, note, what was going on during that time was there was a spiritual warfare going on. So I'm Daniel. The angel comes to me and say, oh, yeah, phew. Oh, man, uh, how you doing? I got something to tell you because I just finished fighting a bunch of demons, the demon of Greece and the demon of Persia. What? (laughs) There's a demon of Greece and a demon of Persia, and you are actually fighting him? Yeah, because he's trying to make the, uh, Satan's will be done. And we're going to make sure God's will be done for the children of Israel. So we're up there fighting. I came out here to talk to you because you called me because you was praying. You called God and I just said Michael. So anyway, I'm like, hold on, hold on, tell me more about this battle. <laughs> like, you, are you using weapons, swords? Like, what's going on? What's so crazy is that this battle was actively going on. Remember, Gabriel left. Michael was still fighting. As the spiritual warfare is going on, what did Gabriel tell Daniel? I could have told you about the fight. I could have told you about who's winning. I could have told you about what weapons we're using. But Daniel says more important than this spiritual warfare that's going on is you spending time in the word of God. Some churches, some places we go, they flip it. All that focus on the spiritual warfare. Oh, man, these demons are this and a demon of this. And you got to pray against the demon of this. And you got to tell that devil you're going to do this. And you tell that devil you're not going to do that. And you need to Oh, remember, it's a war going on, and you got to make sure you fight with this, and you got to pray against that, and you got to sanctify. Yeah, it's spiritual war going on. It's important enough that Gabriel let Daniel know, oh, yeah, it's the stuff popping off. But listen, that should not be your focus. He didn't spend time telling Daniel about the intricacies of the spiritual warfare that's going on. He said, oh, yeah, spiritual warfare going on. You, though, Daniel, need to be focused on the word of God. And so when we look at the word of God, we do need to understand that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of the air. Understand that. But that is not my focus. That is not where I hang up. I stay there and meditate on. The example here is meditate, find your solace, find your answers in the word of God. And you let the angel handle that piece of God, piece that's going on up there. When we look at this, We're getting into chapter 11, starting at verse 2. What we have here is called the Diadochi, also known as the Syrian Wars. Now, this right now, when you read this thing, it's it's almost like like the Attack of the Clones. It's almost straight up like a game. It's it's more like a Game of Thrones type thing, what's going on. Because you got... 
families on this side and kingdoms over here and kingdoms over there and families over here. And you got this interworkings of trickery and allies and lies and bribes and marry her because you marry her. Then I get to do this. All that stuff is going on in chapter 11. And remember, again, what we're looking at is prophecy. Daniel is being told what's going to happen in the future by God here. Okay, so understand that as we go through this, when we look at this, now there's some historians. We can go back into history, into secular history, and look at what happened. And so God is here telling Daniel things that are happening here. We are here in 2019. So when we look back, what do we see? We see history. But understand what God is telling Daniel here is what happened in the future. Hasn't happened yet. We can look back in history and look at these things as it happened, and it gives us detail. Uh, Daniel's, uh, Polybius, Book of Maccabees, Secolus, Josephus, of course, Appen and Porphyry are just a few of the historians who recorded the history that went on. They recorded it here, okay? So when we look at the historians, these guys, I talk about Josephus and all these guys. So I'm going to put Josephus here, little Joe. Josie. <laughs> Josephus. That's my man. So Josephus was here. And so they're recording what just happened. Okay, this happened. Write it down. And then this happened and this happened. Okay. So this is where we are. What's going on here? Chapter 11. So we get started. And I had like a fancy, fancy stuff with this, but I just didn't have time to make it work. What you see is a bunch of people. So Alexander the Great, we start off in verse two, uh, three more kings will rise in Persia, and the fourth will be far richer than the other. By the power he gains through his riches, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. Then a warrior king will arise. He will rule a vast realm and do whatever he wants. But as soon as he is established, his kingdom will be broken up and divided into four winds of heaven. But not of his descendants. It will not be the same kingdom that he ruled because his kingdom will be uprooted and will go to others beside him. That should sound a little bit familiar because we talked about a little bit of this in chapter 8. Okay? So what the angel told him is say something's about to happen. Three more kings are going to happen in Persia. Then there's a fourth king. Now we know that fourth king, looking back at history, we know that that fourth king is Xerxes or Ahasuerus. He was a king around the time of Esther was going on. And the scripture says this fourth king is going to come up and he's going to go antagonize or go mess with this country of Greece. And we can look back in history and says that Xerxes was very, very wealthy and he went and tried to attack Greece. Well, he shook a bear that he shouldn't have messed with. Out popped this king who was greater than all other kings. We know him as Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great came and he conquered the world. But then as we read in the verse, it says a warrior king shall arise, verse 3. He will rule a vast realm and do whatever he wants. But as soon as he's established, his kingdom will be broken up and divided against the four winds of heaven. And we know what happened with Alexander the Great. So he had all this kingdom. When he died, he had no heir. As the Bible said, this guy's going to come. and He's going to break up this kingdom and not to his children. The Bible says that 500 years before it happens, 400 years before it happened, broke this whole area up. So what happened was, when we look at history, it was this cat named Perdiccas. So he was the head general in Alexander the Great's army. And so he comes up after Alexander the Great comes up, dies. Perdiccas comes up and says, okay, 
What we're going to do is we're going to split this kingdom up and give everybody peace, all his commanders of peace. So they split it up and give all his commanders of peace. This is called the Diodochi. So split up, separate, gave everybody a section. What happened was that's when man stepped in. Everybody was like, yeah, why is his piece bigger than my piece? I think I'm going to take his piece. And so fights and wars broke out. And what happened, all these fights and wars broke out eventually until this thing was broken down into five pieces. There was a guy's, uh, this guy here named Seleucus. He had this area over here, included with Babylon. It was a guy named uh, Ptolemy. He had this area over here, it was Egypt. It was a guy named Antigonus. He had this area right here, kind of like Syria, where Jerusalem was. And it was two other cats. It was Cassander and Lysimachus. He had this area right here. And so we have these five guys going on. I'm going to tell you a little bit of history. What happened was, Antigonus said, you know what? My piece is too small. I'm about to take all these pieces, right? And so he went and he had beef with this guy. He was stronger than this guy, Seleucus. So Seleucus escaped and came down here with Ptolemy. And so he hung out with Ptolemy. Actually, he served in Ptolemy's army for a while. So they was good friends for a minute. Then they both got together and went to fight Antigonus. They went, got together, fought Antigonus, and they actually beat him. So when we look at verse 5, the king of the south, who was Ptolemy, will grow powerful, but one of his commanders will both grow more powerful and rule a kingdom greater than his. What happened was, when Seleucus came down here, they joined forces, went up, beat Antigonus. But after they beat Antigonus, Seleucus was like, so listen, Ptolemy, I'm just going to stay up here. Thanks. And I'm going to stay up here. And he took that whole section, that entire section now belonged to him, Seleucus. History. We know what happened. The angel told Daniel 500 years, I'm sorry, two to 400 years, 200 in this case, years before it happened, what was going to happen. Look at the detail. One of his commanders will grow more powerful and rule a kingdom greater than his. Then we continue to go. Verse 6. After some years, they will form an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south will go to the king of the north to seal the agreement. She will not retain power, and his strength will not endure. She will be given up together with her entourage, her father, and the one who supported her during those times. So what we have happening here, we got the northern kingdom, and we have the southern kingdom. What happened was these two guys just got ate up. The other two we got so big, and so the Syrian wars that took place was between the Seleucids, and they were called the Seleucids because the first guy named was Seleucid, and the Ptolemies, all right? That was the big thing. So when you see the king of the south, we're talking about Ptolemy. When we talk about the king of the north, we're talking about Seleucids. And so we have these areas right here, all right? So the two guys died, their sons come up. So now we got Antiochus II, who's the northern kingdom, and we have Ptolemy II, who's in the southern kingdom. And as we see from scripture, what happened was, oh, by the way, during this time, remember, who's right here? Israel. This is where Israel is. So what we're going to have in these wars, we're going to have this country fighting this country for the next two, three hundred years, and smack in between are the children of God. Remember, the angel is telling Daniel what's going on, preparing them for what's about to go down. So when we come to verse 6, Israel is now under the rule of the southern kingdom. It's part of Egypt, okay? Ptolemy, fight the power, part of Egypt. 
and all this is going on. And what happens is during that time, as these wars are going on, God is showing himself. Ptolemy and the southern kingdom were friendly with the Israelites, such that history tells us that they actually funded the money so that the scribes in Israel could write, take the Hebrew version of the Old Testament and translate it into Greek. We call that the, anybody remember? Starts with sept, rhymes with uigent. Septuagint, great job. <laughs> we call that the Septuagint. And so Ptolemy II actually gives the money, gives the funds, and allows them to translate the Old Testament, which was originally in Hebrew, into Greek. Now, he had some side note to that. Remember what they were trying to do was they were trying to Hellenize the world. I mean, turn everything to Greek culture. And so we now have a copy of what the Old Testament was in Hebrew, in Greek, called the Septuagint. So as we read in verse 6, it says that after some years they will form an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south will go to the king of the north to seal the agreement. So because they were fighting so much, they said, listen, Ptolemy uh, said, yeah, let's stop fighting. And so to show you that I don't want to fight no more, I'm going to send you my daughter. And he sent his daughter, her name was Berenice. And so he sends Berenice over to the north. The problem was Antichus was already married. He had a wife. Her name was Laodicea. I'm going to say Laodicea. <laughs> That's the name of the country. Her, her name was, actually, that was her name, Laodicea. That was her name. And so to show the treaty and to show alignment, what they did was Antichus divorced his wife and married Berenice to show, oh, see, we're all friends. Problem was, Ptolemy had a plan. Ptolemy sent his daughter over there, said, listen, once you get over there, I want you to listen to everything that goes on. I want you to write everything that happens. And everything you try to, when you talk to your husband, try to convince him to do stuff our way. He sent her in as a spy. Okay? Trickery. All espionage. All this stuff is going on. All right. So the two kings came up with some fake alliance with fake intentions. All this stuff happened. Um, he sent his daughter to marry him, uh, kicked his wife to the curb. But she was done with all that noise. What happened was once Ptolemy II died or Philadelphia died, what Antiochus II did was he said, OK, OK, he did. So forget this Trinity stuff. Bernice, I'm sorry. I'm out. I'm going back to my wife. Well, he did that. But his wife was like, yeah, I'm later for that noise. So she came back and she killed Bernice. Then she went and she poisoned her husband and killed him. Killed them all. Yeah. The woman, and the woman scorned. That's what, that's what it's called, right? K killed them all. And so that was what was going on. So all this is happening here, the angel is telling Daniel here what's going to happen in the future. Why? Because this is going to be what's surrounding God's people, the children of Israel. And he wanted to let them know. Think about it. God is telling them specifically all these things that are happening. And when we look back in history, we see, we know the names of these people. We know the dates when this stuff went down. You can pull this up. Verse 6. So let's look at verse 7. So you see, she will be given up together with her entourage, her father, and the one who supported her during those times. In the place of the king of the south, one of her family will rise up. Watch this. In the place of the king of the south, one of her family will rise up. So it says that Bernice is going to die. 
But back home, one of her family is going to rise up, and he did. It was Ptolemy III. Her brother became king. Okay? Reach what it says. In the place of the king of the south, one of her family will rise up, come against the army, and enter the fortress of the king of the north. He will take action against them and triumph. He will even take the gods captive to Egypt with their metal images and their precious articles and silver and gold. For some years, he will stay away from the king of the north, who will enter the kingdom of the south, and then return to his own land. So what happened, Gabriel said, what's going to happen is that her brother, that Laodicea killed, is going to come over. This is the next king. Notice we got new kings here now. All right. Now the king of the north is Seleucus II. The king of the south is Ptolemy III, Bernice's brother. He said, you're not going to do that to my sister. So he goes up and he fights against the north. Now remember, where they're going through to fight? Who they got to pass through every time? Israel. So Israel is sitting there. They're caught in this epic battle, these Syrian wars. It's happened for hundreds and hundreds of years. He goes back. He fights the north. He beats them. He finds Laodicea, who killed his sister, kills her, but lets the king go, goes to their temple, snatch all the gold and idols and bring them back home. Now, you remember that from Daniel chapter 1. Remember what Nebuchadnezzar did? That was a sign back in those days that our God is more powerful than your God. Watch this. I'm going to your temple and snatch all your God's stuff. And so that was a sign to them. So he took all his stuff back. Oh, by the way, Israel is still under the southern kingdom's realm right now. So we got new kings. You see, from the branch of her root shall one rise to take her place. That was brother. He attacked the north. And the scripture, history doesn't show this, but the scripture seems to say, if you look at the end of verse 9, he will enter the kingdom of the king of the south and then return to his own land. Don't know how to really to interpret that. It could mean that Seleucus I, the second was like, yo, you can't do that. And he went back to try to fight him, but lost and went back to his own land. Don't know exactly what that means. And history doesn't tell us what that is. Verse 10. His sons will mobilize for war and assemble a large number of armed forces. They will advance, sweeping through like a flood, and will again wage war as far as his fortress. So the angels tell him, say, look, now be prepared, because this guy here, once he gets defeated and, and kills his wife, uh, this lady is killed, and the gods are snatched out, his son's going to rise up. History tells us that Seleucus had two sons. One of them was Seleucus III, the other was Antiochus III. So during this time, when we get to verse 10, the southern kingdom now, it started off, of course, with uh, Ptolemy III. Now we have Ptolemy IV. And what happened was his sons, you see his sons were mobilized against war, verse 10. Infuriated, verse 11, the king of the south will march out to fight, and the king of the north who will raise a large army, but they will be handed over to his enemy. When the army is carried off, he will become more arrogant, and so what happened, what we see happen in verse 10 is that these two sons rise up and after Seleucus III died, Antiochus III, he keeps coming. He keeps coming against Egypt and coming against Egypt and coming against Egypt and coming against Egypt. Antiochus III, he keeps coming and coming to no avail. But eventually he did conquer the northern part of Egypt, which was Israel. So in this turmoil, what the angel is telling Daniel is that Israel is going to be going back and forth. They're going to be part of the north. Then the south is going to come fight, and they're going to be part of the south. They're going to be in the midst of this turmoil year after year after year. So be ready. So be prepared, because this is about to go down. When we get to verse 11, 
we see the kings change again. We got Antiochus III as the king and Ptolemy IV. The fifth is the king. By the way, he was a child king when he started taking over. And so we look at verse 11. It says, when the army is carried off, he will become arrogant and cause tens of thousands to fail, but he will not triumph. Verse 11, infuriated, the king of the south will march to the king of the north, who will raise a large army, but will be handed over to his enemy. And so what happened was Ptolemy IV, he mans up, he attacks the north, he wins back Israel, and then he totally destroys Antiochus III army. This guy, Antiochus III, escapes, goes back, gets a bigger army, and comes back and fight this guy. And so this thing goes back and forth. He comes back and fight and wins Israel back to him again. So Israel again is going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Once we get to verse 14, in those times, many will rise up against the king of the south. So everyone's trying to get Egypt. Everyone wants to get Africa, piece of Africa. Everybody. Fight the power. Uh, violent ones among your own people will assert themselves to fulfill a vision, but they will fail. So scholars kind of look at what that means. But what we know during this time, as Antiochus was fighting the southern kingdom, some of the people from Macedonia joined them and then some of the Jews. So now we got the Jews entering the fight. And as the scripture says, it says there, how do they refer to them? Violent ones among your own people, talking to Daniel. So these guys joined, and we don't know if he was a Maccabees, but them boys was tough. These guys joined the fight, and it's like, okay, we're going to destroy these Egyptians. Let's go handle this business. And so they start the fight against the child king. But they were wrong. This guy went again, and again, Israel turns back over to the south. By the time we get to verse 15, then the king of the north will come, build up an assault ramp, and capture a well-fortified city. The forces of the south will not stand, even their select troops will not be able to resist. The king of the north, verse 16, who comes against him will do whatever he wants, and no one will oppose him. He will establish himself in the beautiful land with total destruction in his hand. When we get down to verse 15 and 16, we see that Antiochus III is, or Antiochus the Great, as he liked to be called himself, was running. With the help of some allies, he fought against the Egyptians. Uh, the general name was Scopus, we find out, and he won this fortified city called Sidon. History tells us, Josephus says, when Antiochus won, they snatched Jerusalem up and they went back to Jerusalem. And when they got to Jerusalem, they say he would receive a welcome arms. The Jews was like, yes, Antiochus III is here. Little did they know that stuff was about to get bad. As you keep reading, what happened was in verse 17, he will resolve to come with the force of his whole kingdom and will reach an agreement with him. He will give him a daughter in marriage to destroy it, but she will not stand with and support him. Then he will turn his attention to the coast of the islands to capture many. But a commander will put it into his taunting. Instead, he will turn his taunts against him. He will turn his attention back to the fortresses of his own land. But he will stumble, fall, and be no more. Remember, Gabriel is telling Daniel here what's going to happen in the future. Josephus and all those guys are writing, and we're sitting here looking back. The incredible detail is ridiculous. When we look at history, when you study history, you'll see that Antiochus said, okay, you know what? I'm, he kept fighting, kept fighting the north. Rome, Rome is starting, doing all this time, Rome is starting getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. As a matter of fact, they got to the point where they started taking off little countries here, there, here, there. And so Rome sees 
Antiochus III, they're like, you know what? That don't look good for us. So we're going to go down and tell this guy he better slow his roll. We're not going to play that. Leave Egypt alone because we want peace. And so Rome went down and they told Antiochus III, yo, you need to chill. You're popping off too much. Relax. He was scared of Rome because Rome was, they, they were getting the reputation. There were some vicious cats up in Rome, these Romans were. And so Antiochus was like, all right, I'm going to chill. Know that he's smaller. <laughs> he said, I'm going to chill. He kind of punked out a little bit. And to show, wink, wink, how much I'm going to obey you, Rome, wink, wink, I'm going to send my daughter over down to marry your boy, Ptolemy V, the child king. Just to show that we're on the up and up. His daughter, by the way, her name was Cleopatra. And so he sends um, Cleopatra, his daughter, over to Ptolemy V as a peace offering. But of course, in this Game of Thrones, Attack of the Clones, Star Wars world, all this stuff was again a lie. He sent her to be a spy. And he told her, listen, when you get over there, you write down everything that happens, find out about his plans, find out about the army, find out everything, and try to persuade him to just give it up. Just let me take over. Let me know the secret places. I'll come in. Boom, we good. Problem was, oh, by the way, look at that. Verse 17, he will give him a daughter in marriage to destroy it. See, his plan was to send his daughter there so he could destroy the whole country. Look what it says. But she will not stand with him or support him. When we look back at history, we see that Cleopatra, when she got there, she was like, oh, this is, oh, this is nice. <laughs> oh, yeah. I like Egypt, and I like this kid king. I'm staying here. And she turned against her pops. She did not become a spy. She stood there. As a matter of fact, she began to give him more support as the war was going on. Stop telling him what was happening. Oh, yeah, what pops like to do. He's like to go left, fake right, and come back. And that's what was going on. And so this continued to go on and on and on. And she was loyal to his husband, so Antiochus the Great, Antiochus III, his plan backfired. So he left Egypt alone and decided, I'm going to leave Egypt alone. You're right. I'm going to go ahead on and, and not mess with that. And so he went and started picking fights with other countries. Then he got greedy. He went and said, you know what? Greece is looking real nice. Only problem is Greece is pretty darn close to Rome. And Rome was in Greece right now. They were cool. And so he said, you know what? I'm going to go fight Greece real quick destroy them, get my power up, get my weight up, then come back and fight Egypt. Well, he went to Greece. There he met the Romans, was like, what, what's that? Antiochus? We just told him to chill in Egypt. Now he coming over here? So he ran into this Roman commander named Scipio. I thought that name was dope. His name was Scipio. If I have another son, I'm gonna name him Scipio. That's dope, right? Scipio. Scipio Bolden, the third. Epiphanies, Epiphanies the Great. I'm going to put all of it, all of it on it. Just add it all. <laughs> huh? He's not Scipio. Okay, so I'll call him Scipio. Anyway, so anyway, <laughs> he ran into Scipio. Scipio shut that mess down. Because, like I said, the Romans, remember, they weren't what they were by the time we get here. But they began to get big and big and big and big and big and big and big as we go through history. So he goes against them. He runs to Greece. Scipio comes him, destroys his army, 
And matter of fact, Skype is like, yeah, first of all, I'm going to destroy your army. And secondly, after I destroy your army, I'm going to let you live, but you're going to pay me. So every month, I expect you to give me a check of X amount of dollars just to show you who's in charge. So Antiochus III, he went back. By the way, Israel is now under them now. He went back. And because he was, uh, had to pay Rome so much money, look what happened. He will turn his attention back to the fortresses of his own land. This is the end of verse 19. But he will stumble, fall, and be no more. What happened was he went, and because he was running out of money, he went and tried to rob this temple of Zeus back in his homeland. And when he went to rob the temple of Zeus, the protectors of the temple was like, nah, you can't have it. And they killed him. And so he died. So now we get to verse 20. The king of the north is Seleucus IV. The king of the south is Ptolemy the fifth. And here the focus shifts. Look at verse 20. In his place, one will rise who will send out a tax collector for the glory of the kingdom. But within a few days, he will be shattered, though not in anger or in battle. Listen, the details, guys, of Daniel chapter 11 are so incredibly, well, I guess it's not incredibly ridiculous because God is sovereign. And because God knows what's going to happen in the future, it was nothing to him. God was like, hey, Gabriel, uh, I know you're fighting the demons right now. Run real quick to Daniel and tell him the next 300 years? What do you think, Jesus? 300? Yeah. Tell him the next 300 years, and then you can go back and finish fighting. Bet. Here's the book of truth. Go. Go tell him real quick. And so this is astounding to God. When we stand how we should and knowing the sovereignty of God, that God is in charge, this shouldn't shock us. But in Olu Bolden's human mind, oh my goodness, this is amazing. The details, the women, this is going to happen. He's going to send his daughter, but she's going to not fall for it. It's not going to work and blah, 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 blah. This is stuff that God is telling Daniel what's going to happen. I'm thinking of the children of Israel right now as they're going through this. And somebody like, hey, bring me the book. Bring me Daniel. We're going to see what's going to happen tomorrow, y'all. That, that would be like insane if that was going on right now. What happened when history tells us, and by the way, I want to say this. We don't need history to verify the prophecies of God. It's not that we're, I'm going through and I, and, I, and I tossed and turned trying to figure out how to go through chapter 11. Because I don't want to give the impression that, and we know this is true, because these guys said it happened. No, we know it's true because God is sovereign. We know it's true because the angel told Daniel, I'm about to give you the word of truth, the word of God. So whether Josephus and his boys wrote about it or not, I know that the word of God is true because God is sovereign. And the scripture tells me, those scriptures we looked at first, said that God dictates what happens in the world. It just so happened that God gave us a little piece of candy. I'm going to let you see it. And then, show you, then you're going to look back and say, oh, wow, this God is amazing. What we look at when we look at history, we see that this guy that came up, Seleucus IV, he started taxing the people. Now, the reason he was taxing the people was because Rome, who by now was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. By the way, we're somewhere around here and there. Rome was getting bigger and bigger and bigger, walked down and said, listen, y'all want to do all this petty fighting, these Syrian wars and whatnot, y'all going to have to pay us some money, all right? So you owe me, you owe me, give me that money. And so what Seleucus IV did, he went and got tax collectors. And he went and got this one Jewish tax collector to actually go to the Jews. So remember, Israel was under the northern kingdom at this time to go tax them. And so this guy, Heliodorus, and you can go look that up. His name was Heliodorus. And so he gets a Jew named Heliodorus to be a tax collector for Israel. And so 
as he was coming to the Jews, remember how Jews, we looked at uh, uh, Zacharias? How did they look at Zacharias? They didn't like this guy. They didn't like these tax collectors. And so they looked at this dude as a traitor. When you look at the scriptures, it says, in one place will rise one who will send out a tax collector. And so what happened was Heliodorus was despised by the children of Israel. They looked at him like a traitor and an oppressor. He oppressed the people. And what happened was eventually, I guess he felt the pressure from his people so much that he went back and said, you know what? You guys are right. And he went and he actually killed Seleucus IV. Well, once that happened, that started the problems for Israel. Because then we got this Jew who went and just killed a Greek king. When we look at verse 21 on down, you're about to see the shift. We got to get to this guy who was the heir, wasn't an heir. He was the king after Seleucus IV. His name was Antiochus IV, Epiphanes. Remember him? We talked about him in chapter 8. And now he was this guy who came up and brought so much pain and so much misery and so much suffering against the children of Israel. What Daniel is looking at, what God is showing him is what's about to happen in all this. What's the point of all this? When we look at it today, what, why, why is this here? What is God telling us? What's, what's significant about this? Well, first thing is that we understand, looking at this, that God is intimately involved in humanities and fairs. God knows exactly what's going on, and he's orchestrating things so that his purpose will be accomplished. Remember in Daniel chapter 9, God said, listen, the six things is about to happen before the kingdom come. I'm going to put an end to this sin thing. I'm going to bring in this redemption. I'm bringing atonement, and I'm going to bring this everlasting kingdom. Oh, and I'm about to show you how I'm going to do it. And that's why he started going on these lines of prophecy. He's letting them know that, listen, I want you to know that after all this, I'm going to bring a kingdom. The kingdom is going to be eternal and it's going to rule. And you all are going to rule with me. And just to let you know that that is true, I'm going to tell you some stuff that's about to happen hundreds of years before it happened. So when you see it happen, you'll say, oh, my goodness, God knows the future. That way I can trust him because what he said hundreds of years before it happened, happened. So if he won't lie in then, he definitely won't lie when he says he's going to come back and provide an atonement for the sin, fix the sin problem, allow us to be one with him, and bring in his kingdom. The second point is God knows things before they happen. Then God is sovereign, and the sovereignty of God is the basis for our assurance. I can have trust. I can be assured that God's word is true. Why? Because he's sovereign. How you know God is sovereign? Oh, Daniel 11. That's how I know he's sovereign. Because he wrote down some stuff to detail that if no Nostradamus, no, uh, uh, what was that old lady who used to be on TV? You said, tell you the future? I forgot her name. Miss Cleo. None of these weirdos on these weird stations that you come. Uh, did she like the color red? Oh, yeah. Something's telling me that she, the, the Tuesday. Tuesday tells me something. Is there a Tuesday? Does she, does she like Tuesdays? Did she, does she like, she like Tuesdays? Oh, she like Tuesdays. Hamburgers. Does she eat? Does she like food? Those quacks. No. This is specific stuff that assures me. I look at God's prophecies. I look at his, once I see his prophecies are true, then I know that his promises are true to me. And I know that main promise is that he's going to bring to us an eternal kingdom. The issue is sometimes how we respond, though. Do we really trust 
the sovereignty of God. We live in a, a day of chaos, a day of change. We've got wars going around us. We've got crazy stuff going. We've got innocent babies being killed. We've got innocent people being sacrificed. You look at what's going on in Venezuela right now. It's crazy. New Zealand, what, two days ago? New Zealand, they're popping off and recording, killing people now and putting on social media. This is what's going on in the world today. And we look at this, and sometimes as Christians, we get shook. Sometimes as Christians, we look at, oh, my goodness, did Obama just get high president? Oh, you know what that means? He's the Antichrist. Oh, wait a minute. Did Trump get hired president? Oh, my goodness, it's over. And we as Christians, we get caught up in that. The fact that we get caught up in that is not, oh, no, I can't. It's crazy. No. Re remember, who orchestrates all this stuff? Who's in charge of all this stuff? People say, oh, God, God, God wanted Trump to win. Okay. You can look at that. Because God is orchestrating all this stuff. None of this stuff is shocking to God. Not only did he know what was going to happen 300 years in the future, he knew what was going to happen a cotillion years in the future. He knows. And so when these things go down as the body of Christ, we shouldn't get shook. We shouldn't be, we shouldn't be shaken up and moping around. Oh, woe is us. We got a Democrat. Woe is us. We got a Republican. Woe is us. We got No. God is in charge, and it's a testament to how we trust him. Our problem is, is we assume God is powerless when stuff happens. That's why we get shook. When stuff happens in our life, life things happen, or trauma happens, or just something that comes and shake your family up, and we get shook, and we get wars me, and we can't sleep at night, and we're moping around, and we, I don't know what to do, and I'm getting anxiety, and I'm depressed, and stop out of it. This is... He's sovereign. This stuff didn't happen by chance. He's got this thing in control. And so I show that I'm trusting in God by how I react to things when go on in my life. I know God is in charge. God is sovereign over decisions of Donald Trump. God is sovereign over the decisions of the Supreme Court. God is sovereign over uh, ISIS. God is sovereign over all this. He's in charge. And we need to trust him. Daniel 11 shows us how we got to when the fullness of time had come. All this stuff went on. And, and as we're going to continue to look at it, we're going to look at the things that happened. But this whole thing was going on because God was orchestrating this group that was coming up called the Romans. And they were going to take over everything. And when they took over everything, they were going to make everyone speak the same language. And then they were going to make this roads that everyone could get everywhere at the same time. And God said, Paul said, when the fullness of time will come, God sent his son. Now that everybody speak the same language, now that all roads go through the same place, God sent Jesus and so one day on the day of Pentecost, when all these people from all over the world came on these roads that the Romans built, they came to Jerusalem, and they heard this man stand up and say, we're not drunk, as you suppose, but we're here to tell you what God has done, because you have killed the Messiah. And 3,000 people got saved that day, and a couple days later, 5,000 more people got saved. And then those people left, right, and they went on those roads that the Romans built, because the Romans had taken over the world, because God had orchestrated that from the beginning. And now the, God, the gospel is spread throughout the world. Why? Because God is sovereign. He's got a plan and he's working out. 
And we need to trust him in the world and in our life. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for what you've done. We thank you, God, for being sovereign. We thank you that you can do what you want, when you want, at any time, God. We thank you, God, that as the world goes crazy and as things happen, God, I don't have to sit here and ponder and worry and fret, but I know that you are sovereign over decisions made by leaders. You are sovereign over decisions made by crazy people. You're sovereign over the events that happen in my personal life. You're sovereign over events that happen in my family life. You're sovereign over the past. You're sovereign over the present. And God, you are sovereign over the things that, I'm, that I don't even know is gonna happen yet. And I pray, God, that because of your word, as Gabriel told Daniel, the truth of your word or the book of truth that I will fall into it, God, and we will be a body of Christ, God, that falls into your word and allow your word to dictate us so that we will be positioned to be functional for you in this world, God, as we trust in your sovereignty. Be with us this week, God, as we don't know what's going to happen and the things come up, but I pray, God, that we will trust you and put ourselves in the right position to be used by you. We love you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Followers of the Way podcast. If you like more information about Followers of the Way Church, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. We trust and hope that you've enjoyed hearing God's word and how to apply it to our lives. Our podcast is updated weekly, so remember to follow us here at Followers of the Way.